Uh, last week, we concluded our series called Road Trip, and in that series, we kind of focused on uh, stories from the Exodus and the Israelites' journey uh, in the wilderness, and it is in those um, accounts and stories, those parts of the Bible, um, where well-known events that many of us are familiar with uh, happen. Um, you know, Moses, as part of the Exodus, he splits the sea. I'm not sure you could see an octopus as you cross through the sea, um, but it was a story we're all familiar with. Um, it's the final episode of the Exodus out of Egypt, where the Israelites cross the sea on dry ground, and the Egyptian army is destroyed when the sea crashes down on them. Um, in, in those journeys uh, in the wilderness, the Israelites build a tabernacle, and the tabernacle is set up in the middle of the camp, and God leads them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, in the wilderness, the Israelites get, got hungry, um, and so God provided manna and quail for them to eat. Um, I really love that picture on the right because you see the two birds in the corner looking in horror as they're cooking the quail that they got. I just, I really like that picture. I don't know. Uh, but God provided manna and quail for them to eat, and this manna would appear every day for 40 years. Uh, and then after 40 years, the time comes for the Israelites to enter into the promised land. And just like the sea that Moses split, God opens up the waters of the Jordan River and the Israelites cross into the promised land on dry ground. Our scripture this morning comes from Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15. Um, Go ahead and you can turn there in your Bibles. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Um, this morning's passage happens shortly after the crossing of the Jordan River. Um, some of you are familiar with the story of the fall of Jericho. This scripture passage comes right between crossing the Jordan River and um, the fall of Jericho. It's right in between those two events. Our scripture reader this morning is Elizabeth Jones. And so Elizabeth, going to have you make your way and up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, Elizabeth, whenever you are ready, please read from Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 15. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Elizabeth, thank you very much. You may be seated. Labor Day weekend, Labor Day is the unofficial end of summer, unofficial beginning of fall. It's, we're going through a change of seasons. There are four seasons in a year, uh, but in life, 
In life, there's really all sorts of seasons, aren't there? Um, if you even start from when you were very, very young, there's the season of preschool, and then the season of elementary school, and then middle school, and then high school, and then you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so on and so on and so on. Um, and you can measure the seasons of your life in all sorts of ways. Uh, you can measure them by family life. Maybe you get married, and then maybe you have kids, and maybe you're empty nesters. Um, or maybe you can measure the seasons of your life by your career, you know, the beginning of your career, different advancements that you make uh, when you retire. Um, another way you can break up the seasons, you just break them up into two seasons. Seasons when you're young, seasons when you're old. Quite simple, yes? Um, and if you're going to break them up that way, then the question is, well, when do you officially become old? You know, when, when do you officially become old? Because, you know, like beginning when you're a kid, when you're a kid, everyone seems old, right? You know, even in fourth grade. In fourth grade, I remember thinking, wow, in four years, I'm going to be in eighth grade. And those eighth graders seemed old to me. Um, and then when you're in eighth grade, you know, the high school seniors seem old. And when you're in high school, those college students uh, seem really old. And when you're in college, those people who are married seem old. And when you're married, those people with kids seem old. And when you have kids, those people who are empty nesters seem old. And on and on and on and on and on. Um, and so when do you officially become old? Because it seems like the next stage of life is when you become old, and then you get there, and it's like, oh, no, wait, it must be the next one, or the next one, or the next one. Um, a few years ago, I was 45, 46, um, one of our young family dads, so this dad married, he had an elementary school kid, a preschool kid, and he was part of the young marrieds group uh, that I led because I still saw myself as part of the young marrieds group. I had kids in middle school, so that kind of counts. Um, and so his mother was in the hospital. And because young families were still a part of my responsibility, um, I decided to go visit this uh, young family dad and go pray with his mom because it was kind of a scary health situation. I don't remember all the details, but his wife was home with the kids and he was at the hospital with his brother and other family members um, and just kind of waiting and seeing what was going to happen with his mom. And so... I go up there, I go to the family waiting area, chat with the family, go um, pray with his mom, and she ended up being okay, which was good news, and then I went and chatted with the family a little bit longer, and before I left, I asked the dad, the young family dad, I said, well, how old is your mom? Again, this, is, this guy's my peer, right? He's my peer. So how old is your mom? She's 52. I was 46. <laughs> she was 52. Um, I realized, so when did I officially feel old for the first time? The moment I realized that I was closer to this, his mom's age than his age. It wasn't even close. Um, that was sort of a wake-up moment for me. The bottom line is, if you want to feel young, hang out with people older than you. It's really quite simple. Uh, there are seasons of life, though. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 captures this really well. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. There are seasons of life. 
And the passage in Joshua that Elizabeth just read is about a changing of seasons. The Israelites are about to enter a new season in their relationship with God. And when seasons change, well, one season must come to an end. Uh, Last week, Brett talked about how in their journey in the desert, the Israelites complained about a lack of food. And so God miraculously provides manna and quail. And for 40 years, every day but the Sabbath, for 40 years, the Israelites woke up to manna on the ground. Now they have crossed into the promised land. And I don't know if you caught it when Elizabeth read it, but go back to verse, uh, verses 10 to 12 in the passage where it says, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. For 40 years, without fail, except for Sabbath, there's manna on the ground every day for them to eat. I wonder what it was like the first day the Israelites woke up and there's no manna to be found. (laughs) Hey, what's going on? Where's the manna? what, what, What happened? A season. A season has come to an end. Manna was their desert provision. They are no longer in the desert. They are in the promised land. The season changed, so their diet changed. Now, while that may seem kind of weird, why would you change the diet when you change the season? Well, changing your diet, it's it's a very primal change. And if you think about it, one indicator that you've moved into a new season of life is when you can't eat what you used to eat. Yes? Most of us have experienced this. We can all relate to that. I used to be able to eat anything I wanted and never gained weight. People sent me hate mail because of that. They hated that, okay? I weighed 135 pounds when I got married. Um, Seven years later when we moved here, I kicked it all the way up to 140 pounds. Uh, And then seven or eight years ago, something changed. It's called my metabolism changed, and I started gaining weight. And you can ask me after the service how much weight I gained, but I'm not going to share it from up here. But I'm nowhere near 140 pounds, not even close. The season of eating anything I want and not gaining weight, that season is gone, over. The Israelites are in a new season of life. The days of eating manna, like they've done for the last 40 years, are over. It is time to eat the produce of the promised land. Now, even though it was great that they were in the promised land, there had to be, there had to be a sense of grief. You know, because the days of manna are over. The days of waking up every morning and the manna being right there, those days are gone. And I had to, I have to think that there are conversations that went like, hey, remember 
what life was like when every morning we woke up and there was man on the ground. I can see parents telling their children, when I was your age, we woke up and the man was on the ground. We had to get up early and eat, you know, all that stuff. Remember what life was like when we ate manna. It came every day. Remember that? There had to be a sense of grief. Remember what life was like before COVID? Remember that? Remember what life was like before 9-11? Remember that? Or I'm going to go back even a little further and, and age myself a little bit. Remember the days before Columbine? Some of you are like, Columbine? What's that? Well, that was a time before mass shootings were common. Remember that? Remember what life was like before your marriage ended? Or do you remember what life was like before your mom died? Or do you remember what life was like before your business failed? Remember what life was like before you lost something that was so central to your life. The days of God providing manna from heaven are over. And when you lose something, when you lose something, you must grieve. Before the Israelites entered the promised land, Moses, their exodus leader, their wilderness leader, he dies. And here was their reaction. You can read about their reaction to Moses' death in Deuteronomy 34, beginning in verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And the Lord had said, as the Lord had said, and he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. When you lose something, the appropriate response is to grieve. Grieving is the process of mourning loss, the loss of how life used to be. Again, we lose. We lose people and relationships and careers and abilities and just that general sense of how life used to be. And in order to mourn the loss, we have to accept the loss. I have lost this, and I'm not getting it back. I have lost this, and I'm not getting it back. And we need to allow ourselves to experience the sadness that goes with the loss. I've lost this. The purpose of grief is letting go so we can move forward. We can't move forward when we cling to the past. I've lost this, and I'm not getting it back. It's not coming back. And if we say that often enough and allow ourselves to experience the emotion that comes with that, that reality eventually sinks in. And when you realize that what is lost is lost, well, then you can begin to move forward. 
After grieving the loss of Moses for 30 days, the very next verse in Deuteronomy 34 says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. The Israelites had to let go of Moses so they could move forward with Joshua. My wife and I, we have three children. Two are gone to college. Our youngest is a senior in high school. You know what that means? Next year, parties of Swobodas. That's what we're doing. Um, just kidding. Use humor to cover up grief. Okay. Um, for the last 22 years, we lived, a se- we lived a season where we always had kids in the house. Well, that's coming to an end. And there will be sadness, and we will grieve. And when we've grieved enough to let go of that loss, then we'll be able to enjoy the season of empty nesting. And then we can party. Then it'll be okay, all right? Um, Hey, a quick side note. Grieving, grieving loss is an essential part of forgiveness. Grieving loss is an essential part of forgiveness. Let me explain. Um, Forgiveness is letting go when someone wrongs us. When someone wrongs us, we are hurt, we feel pain, and when we feel pain, we get angry, um, and then we'll judge the other person. They're bad because they hurt us. Um, They did this to me, and when we say, when we get angry and we judge them as bad, it makes us feel better, at least for a little while. Um, And forgiveness is saying, I'm in pain, it's your fault, You're responsible for my pain, but it's my pain. And I will not hold my pain against you, even though you caused it. I will not treat you with anger or judgment. I will process my pain that you gave me and not hold it against you. And when you do that, You are giving up your right to anger and judgment. You are losing something. Even though you're giving it up, when you give it up, you lose it. And what it is you're losing is your right to be angry and to judge that person. It's your fault that I'm in pain. I will suffer the pain. I won't hold it against you. Why would you do that? Well, you do that because your relationship with that person can't move on until you do. You can't move forward in a relationship with someone who you judge. It's your fault that I'm in pain, but I'm going to suffer the pain, not hold it against you, so that our relationship can move forward. Does that sound familiar at all? Maybe this image will help. It's your fault that I'm in pain, But I will suffer the pain and not hold it against you so that our relationship can move forward. That's forgiveness. And it requires grieving the loss of your right to be angry and judgmental. It's painful. Now, as a little side note, back to the topic at hand, when the seasons change, one season must come to an end. And when it comes to an end, we need to grieve. And if we don't grieve, we can't move forward. 
Is there a season coming to an end that you must grieve? Now, when seasons change, seasons of life come to an end, and a new season begins. An important fact about new seasons, uh, we usually don't get to choose when they come. (laughs) A new season comes whether we like it or not. Uh, Going back to the passage in Joshua 5, looking at verses 13 to 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. For those of you that know the Exodus story, you just heard an echo from that story in this passage. You just heard something that made you think, now I've heard that somewhere before. And where did I hear that? When the commander of the Lord's army tells Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. What part of the Exodus story does that sound like? Now, for those of you who know the answer, I want you to get credit for knowing the answer, so just tell the person next to you, it's this, and then you're going to look really smart to the people around you. Go ahead, whisper it, whisper it. It's this part of the story, it's this part of the story, this part of the story, okay? It sounds a lot like Moses and the burning bush, doesn't it? In that story, an angel of the Lord appears to Moses, and here's what happens. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. At the beginning of the Exodus story, again, this is Exodus chapter 3, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They cry out to God. God hears their cry, appears to Moses in the burning bush, and says to Moses, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Moses' encounter in the wilderness is the beginning of a new season for the Israelites. Moses will lead them out of slavery and into the wilderness, where they will wander for 40 years. God appears to Moses in the wilderness which marks the beginning of the Israelites' season in the wilderness. Now, God is ready to lead them into the promised land. And so God appears to Joshua in the promised land. And this time, it's the commander of the Lord's army, another angel, who says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And just as this statement Marks the, or just as this statement marked the beginning of a new season under Moses, 
out of slavery, this same statement marks the beginning of a new season under Joshua into the promised land. And whether the Israelites were ready or not, God is ushering in a new season. The new season will not be the same as the old season. The challenges will be different. What worked in the last season won't work in the new one. We're not going to have manna in the promised land. It's not how the promised land works. We will have to adjust to the new season. But the new season comes when it comes. And God usually doesn't give us a choice about that. The choice that we have is how will we respond to this new season? And we don't like new seasons because we are comfortable in the one we're in. It took us a lot of time to get comfortable in the one we're in. Why would we want to change? Each new season has difficult challenges. Each new season has scary moments. The Israelites, when they were taken out of slavery under Moses, there were times they complained and they wanted to go back to Egypt not because it was better there, but because it was familiar. Now they are being led out of the wilderness into the promised land under Joshua, and every step into the promised land is met with hesitation. Each new season is uncertain, which leads to fear. But whether we like it or not, a new season eventually comes. What new season do you see coming for you? Because it comes when it comes. The good news is God always has a new season for us. Notice the progression of the seasons for the Israelites from slavery to wilderness to promised land. Each new season was a movement towards a better place. New seasons are challenging, new seasons are scary, but they put us on a journey to something better. And two final thoughts about new seasons. First of all, in a new season, God has some things that he wants you to do. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, there are times when people will have a serious health crisis, and it's so serious that they're not even expected to live much longer. And then they rebound, and they live for many years after whatever their health scare was. And I often hear those people say something like, I don't know why I'm still here, but God must have me here to do something. Those people are right. You are God's handiwork. When we enter a new season of life, we have been set up to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do in every season of our lives. There is no season where God expects you to coast. The second thought about new seasons is while some seasons are more enjoyable than others, God works through every season of our lives for our good. It may not be good in a particular season, 
But every season is a part of a journey which is for our good. As Romans 8 says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says all things, which includes things like the loss, the tragic, the pain, the fear. All things God works for our good. And when God takes something like the loss, the tragic, the pain, the fear, and he works it out for our good, that is called redemption. God redeems all things and works them all out according to his goodness. And God has done this our whole lives. We have experienced God take the good, the bad, the ugly, and redeem it for our good. It's what God does. He has done it in past seasons. He will do it in the new season. What potential good do you see coming in the season you are in? TFRC, we're entering a new season. Next week, we're launching our new vision and direction to see where God is leading. And we don't know everything that this new season will bring, but we are excited to do whatever good God has prepared for us to do, and we anticipate the good he will work out in all things that this new season has for us. Please pray with me. Lord, as we do look back in our lives, we can see in many ways how you have worked out all things for our good. And Lord, I just want to lift up each person here who maybe is in a season of grief and ask that you would continue to help them experience your comfort. Lord, for those of us who are... Um, Entering a new season, I would ask that you would give us a spirit of encouragement that we can continue to walk into the future in faith, knowing that regardless of what happens, you are working all things out for us. Again, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.